Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. If this is your first time coming to Elevate Church, let me introduce myself. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here, and we've been in this series called Better. And before I wrap up our series today, let me throw this out there. Because I don't think there's a greater time than at the beginning of the year to really establish some, some patterns and some habits in our lives. And for some of you, you've been doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting with us that ended yesterday. Hello, Krispy Kreme is back on the menu. Thank God, somebody. But um, I would say don't let it stop there. In fact, let me say this. If you go all in with God, that this year could be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. Meaning that if you just go all in and just run every play, like get involved in everything that this church has to offer, get involved in groups, get involved in serving, in investing, in inviting people, in bringing the, the tithe to the storehouse. Here's what I believe. If you do that, then by December of this year, your life will be exponentially better. If you just go all in. In fact, if it's not better by December, then you and I will both leave and go find a different church, all right? I just don't think we're going to have to because I believe as you go all in with God, I promise you it will be better. Better in what, Colby? Better in your family, better in your marriage, better in your, your job perhaps or in your career, that your children will love God, that they'll be invested in what, what God wants to, to do in and through their lives, that they'll, they'll draw closer to God. I just think it will be better in every area of your life if you just go all in. And there's no better time, in fact, than to jump on a group uh, because this week our group's directory opens up. We always say get connected in a group. Like coming and sitting in rows is awesome, but sitting in circles is, is even better than that. It's where you can get accountability, people to pour into your life, people to pray for you, to do life with one another. So sign up for a group. Go online this week on the app. And you can look and see what groups are open. And I say check one out. And if you don't like them and you think they're weird, leave. Go to a different group. It doesn't matter. So you're not going to hurt their feelings, all right? So just check out a group, but make sure you get connected. Whether you've been here for a long time or you're just coming for the first time, like you need to get connected. Amen? All right, here we go. How many of you know that it's one thing to have a dream in your heart and to think that dream, and it's another thing to say it? Like, it's a lot harder for us to, to speak the dream, perhaps, that God has given us. It's a lot easier for us to think about it than it is for us to, to do anything with it. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. I think there's a couple of reasons that you and I are afraid to, to tell people to really speak and verbalize the dreams that God has given us. One is because I think we'll feel accountable. Like once we tell somebody, right, then we have to feel like we're going to be accountable to them. It's kind of like saying, hey, you know, this guy's put this on my heart. This is what I think he wants me to do. And as soon as we say it, it's like, uh-oh, did I just say that out loud? Because we're going to feel like maybe they're going to come back to us and they're going to ask us, hey, are you doing anything with that, that dream that God has, has given you? And we don't want to tell them because we probably don't want to have to say, actually, no, I haven't taken any steps towards that dream God has given me, which is why, by the way, you didn't tell anybody your weight loss goals for 2020 because you didn't want them coming back to you with you got that mighty fine donut in your mouth going like, hey, 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 I thought, right? Which is why you don't post your workout plan online on Facebook, say, I'm gonna work three, I'm gonna work out three times a week because you didn't want somebody to call you out. We don't tell people our dreams often because we don't wanna feel accountable to those dreams. Or sometimes we don't speak our dreams 
because um, somebody could actually fulfill that, help us to fulfill it. Like if you've ever told someone your dream and they're like, hey, that's an awesome dream. I can help you. You need to meet so-and-so. You need to, you know, kind of connect with this person or that person. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, didn't, I was just dreaming about it. I don't really want to do anything with it, right? And so I think most of the times we don't tell people our dreams is because we're afraid of what they will say. We're nervous of the reaction. We're nervous of the, the pushback. Like if it's really this God-sized dream that God has birthed on the inside of us and we actually share it, like this is what God is doing, uh, we're afraid of what will they think. Will they, will they think I'm crazy? Will they think I've gone off the, the deep end? Will they think I've lost my mind? We're afraid of how people will respond to our dreams. And so sometimes, even jokingly, we'll tell someone our dream, just to kind of test them out a little bit. You know, just kind of like, you know what, I was, I was thinking maybe one day it'd be nice to start a business just to get their response. And if they come back and say, are you crazy? You know, then we can say, yeah, yeah, yeah I was just kidding. Because being flippant about it uh, could end up, you know, we could take a pass on it. We don't really have to follow through with it. And so often we never speak our dream. And so before we've even uh, given voice to it, we've killed it. Before we've even had that dream, given it an opportunity to live, we've already crushed it. So today I want to encourage you maybe to pull that dream back off the shelf. That one that you've set up on the shelf and maybe begin to go after something again that that you thought was off limits, or maybe that you thought you couldn't do it, or, or there was a reason that you shouldn't do it. I'm just trying this, this morning to put some courage back into your life, to be able to dream again, to encourage you. That's what, that's what you know, encourage means, right, to put courage into. I think for some of us, we need to pull that dream back off the shelf and begin to dream again and to begin to speak that dream out, to verbalize it to give life to it. And I'm not talking about you leave here and you go home and you speak the dream to your pet at home, all right? I'm not saying that you go home and say, hey, kitty cat, this is what God's put on my heart. Like, that doesn't count, all right? Don't do that. Um, in fact, you might benefit from therapy if that's you. But you do have to speak it. You do have to verbalize it. You do have to converse with somebody about the dream that God has given you. And if it's so big, right, that you're nervous about it, that all you can do is whisper it, then find somebody and just whisper it to them. But if you have to shout it out, right, then you go home and you shout it out. You go outside, you wake up the neighbors tonight, and you shout that dream out. I'm just trying to get you from, to, to get that dream from in your heart to your lips. Because the moment you speak it, the moment you bring it into the atmosphere, then you'll be able to pursue the thing that God has for your life. So that's what today's about, to encourage you. To pull that dream out again, because chances are, uh, here we are at the end of January, maybe there were some dreams that have already been shelved. There were some dreams that you had of, of 2020 and what this decade was going to look like in your life that you've already put on, on the shelf. So I'm trying to get you to pull that thing off again. But let me also warn you that the moment you give life to it, the moment you speak that dream, there are some things on assignment to kill that dream. Did you know that? The moment you speak it, the moment you declare, this is the thing that God has for my, my life, there are some things that are looking to attack and kill the dream that you have. Just ask Joseph in the Old Testament. Like the, no sooner did he tell his family about the dream God had given him than his brothers sold him into slavery, right? Like there are things that are on assignment to kill your dream. Ask Mary. You know, no sooner had she given birth to the Messiah of the world, Jesus, than Herod put out a kill order on every baby under the age of two, every baby boy, because he was trying to kill uh, Jesus. 
So as soon as God gives birth to a dream inside of you, there are some things on assignment to kill it. And just as confident as I am that God has given you a dream, which I believe he's given everybody in this room a dream, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life, I'm just as confident that there are things that are out there to kill the dream that God has given you. But here's what I need you to know. The attack, uh, the, the target of the attack on your dream is not your dream. Are you with me? Some of you are like, this is the most confusing message I've ever heard in my life. You just told me, you know, I have a dream, and that something's out to kill my dream, but the target of the attack is not, not my dream. No, the target of the opposition to your dream is not your dream. You know what it is? It's your confidence. Because if the enemy can kill your confidence, it will kill your dream. Did you know that? If he can kill your confidence, if he can kill the confidence that you have in that thing that God has spoken to you, that thing that God has, has birthed inside of your heart, if he can kill your confidence, he will kill your dream. If he can get you to lose your confidence, you will lay down, you will lay aside the dream that God has given you. He doesn't have to kill the dream. He just has to kill your confidence to begin to, to question, is this from God? Did I really have this dream? Is, is this for this time? Is this for another time? Or maybe the dream wasn't for me in the first place. Maybe God meant it for someone else on the road that I was sitting on. It just bounced over them, and it landed on me. If the enemy can kill your confidence, he'll kill your dream. And so instead of pursuing the dream God has for us, a lot of times we're sitting back waiting for God when God is just waiting on us to get our confidence back to dream again, to believe again for that thing that God wants to do in and through our life. I'm just trying to help somebody today get your confidence back. You know what? That your marriage can be whole, that your finances can be healthy, that your children can love God, that they can be raised in a godly home, that you can be successful, that you can break out of that sin pattern that you've been stuck in over and over again, that you can be free from the addictions in your life. I just want you to get your confidence back. Come on, to dream again. To be able to understand, to, to pull that dream off the shelf and know that God wants to fulfill it in your life. Some of us are no longer chasing that dream because we've lost our confidence. And when you lose your confidence, it kills the dream. Because the enemy doesn't have to kill the dream, he has to kill our confidence. So you need to get your confidence back. And you may not view yourself this way, but you should know the enemy views you this way. That when you're dreaming, you're dangerous. Did you know that? Hey, when you're dreaming and you're pursuing the plans that God has for your life, you're dangerous. And I don't mean this to be cocky, but I believe that when I'm dreaming, I'm dangerous to the forces of hell. Because I believe when I'm dreaming, I'm pursuing all that God has for my life, that I'm advancing the kingdom you know, in this, in this region, that I'm making a difference for the cause of Christ, and I'm pushing back against the forces of darkness in this city, that I'm dangerous, and so are you. You need to believe that. That when you dream, and you have a dream in your heart that God has birthed inside of you, and you dream about that thing, you're dangerous. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, I'm dangerous. Look him in the face. You don't know it. I don't look dangerous, but I'm dangerous. Some of you shouldn't say that. You probably are dangerous. I don't know. I just... The enemy does not have to kill the dream. He just has to kill your confidence. And he knows if you're not dreaming, then you're not a threat then you're no longer dangerous. So I wanna bring a message to us today. Uh, that was just the setup, entitled Dream Defense. And I wanna give you four things that are out to destroy your dreams because I don't want you to be caught off guard, that we are 
uh, we need to defend the dreams that God has given us his birth inside of our heart. And hopefully over the course of this series, God has spoken to you in some significant ways. Maybe that, hey, you've been given this box and that you need to think inside the box with, you know, use what God has given you, the resources. Or if you were here last week, that you need to see the victory, that you need to plan for that victory, you need to execute the victory, you need to advance on that. But I want to warn you that as you run after that, as you pursue all that God has for you and you face resistance, you may think, well, God's not going to do it for me. Or you may think that, well, the preacher lied to me. You know, I shouted and the walls didn't come, come down. Let me be real clear. God will make a way where there is no way. Yes, he will. Yeah. The, God will open doors that no man can open, but you're going to have to fight. You are going to have to face some battles. And let me say this. If you're not facing any battles, it could be that you're not dreaming anymore. It could be that you've lost sight of that dream, that you've, you've shelved the dream that God has given you. If you're not facing resistance, it could be that you're not advancing that dream. And as soon as you begin to advance the dream that God has given you, some things will oppose you. And I want to prepare you to be able to defend the dream that God has birthed in your heart. And we find these in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, you can open it up. Uh, basically open it to the middle, find Psalm, and then go back uh, three books, go Job, Esther, then Nehemiah, and that's where we'll be. And while you're turning there, Nehemiah was a cupbearer uh, for King Artaxerxes at this time. And the cupbearer, his job was to bring the king his drinks in his cup, but he had to taste them first in case somebody poisoned his cup. That way the king wouldn't die, but Nehemiah would die. Anybody want that job? Anybody looking for a job? Okay. That was his job. And so while he was the cupbearer for the king, some of his family came from Jerusalem and they gave him this message that wrecked him, like broke his heart. You know, they, they told him that the city was in ruins. They told him that the wall, you know, was, was torn down, that they were unprotected, uh, that anybody could come in and attack any time that they wanted to. But here was the biggest kicker of all. No one was doing anything about it. And so Nehemiah, uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, he heard about this, and he says he prayed and he fasted. Like for days, he, he sat down and he wept and he prayed and he, he fasted. Can I tell you something? There needs to be something in your life you're so passionate about that it causes you to weep. There has to be some burden in your life, something that bothers you to the point where you just, you can't help but to weep over it. Nehemiah wept over it and he fasted and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord gave him this dream, gave him a vision said, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to lead the people in rebuilding the city. I want you to lead the people in, in rebuilding the wall, putting the gates back in, reestablishing you know, worship in the temple. I want you to rebuild. That was the dream that God had given him. So Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. And now this is in chapter 2, verse 11, if you want to read back there. It, it, he didn't tell anybody why he was there at first. He just kind of went and looked around. And assessed all the damage. He surveyed everything, saw what needed to be fixed, saw that the walls were in ruin, saw, and he went gate by gate by gate, the Bible tells us. And let me just say this. There needs to be a season of preparation to the dream that God has given you. Like, I'm not telling you you just need to speak your dream and just charge it unprepared. Like, he went out, he prayed over it, he fasted, and then he made sure he kind of got a, a picture of what all needed to happen. But the Bible says eventually he did speak that dream. Uh, in verse 17, he gathered some people together, and he said, this is the dream that God has given me. I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. I need you to, to help. We're going to bring it back to its former glory. And no sooner did he speak it than there were some people 
that we're trying to kill it. Because as soon as you speak your dream, there are things on assignment to kill your dream. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. Are you there? One person. All right, here we go. It'll be up here too, by the way. Verse 19 says this. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, God bless you, the Arab, heard about it. It was funnier in my mind. Mocked and ridiculed us. They said, what is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you share, you have no share in Jerusalem, nor any claim to it. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes that you need to defend your dream against. It's criticism. Criticism. How many of you know as soon as you share your dream, the voice of critics will raise their ugly head? Because how many of you know there are people in your life that can't handle your dream? There are people in your life that can't celebrate your dream. And I just want to tell you now, I want to warn you that as soon as you begin to speak the dream that God has in your heart, that thing that you're excited about, that you know God wants to do in and through your life, and you tell somebody, hey, this is what God's telling me I'm going to do, and their response is, oh, that's nice. That's cute. I don't want that to throw you on your back for weeks at a time because not everyone can celebrate it with you. Not everyone can handle the dream that God has given you. But here's the deal. They only criticize you because they're uncomfortable with your dream. And many times you dreaming and believing for something greater in your life makes them realize they're not dreaming or believing for anything at all. And because of that, they would rather see you fail. They would rather criticize the dream that God has given you. Uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem had been in Jerusalem the whole time. Like they could have rebuilt the city. They could have rebuilt the walls. They could have led people in this movement. But now Nehemiah shows up, right, this out-of-towner, and says, this is not acceptable. This isn't right. This bothers me. I'm going to rebuild this wall. I'm going to lead these people. And all of a sudden, they start criticizing. Can I tell you something? The moment you begin to believe God for something great in your life, the moment you begin to push against the status quo, the moment you begin to push against you know, things that people are comfortable with, people will criticize you. Because your activity shines a light on their inactivity. Your, your activity in, in pursuing the dream that God has given you shines a, a light on the fact that they're not pursuing anything at all. And again, a lot of times they would rather see you fail, so they criticize that dream that God has birthed inside of you. So you got to silence the voice of critics. You got to say, you know what, it doesn't matter. God has given me this dream. I'm going to run after this dream. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm just helping us to defend against the critics because haters going to hate, right? You're going to have critics in your life. And the reality is when they say things like, you don't have what it takes. You can't rebuild this. You can't do this. Have you thought through this or that? That seems a little bit radical. Can I tell you something? Radical changes the world. Or when you say, they say, that seems excessive, why would you go all in on that? You can't change the world and go halfway. Halfway never changed anything. Or if they throw your past failures in your face and say, yeah, yeah, well, you said you were going to do that last year. In your last New Year's resolution, well, you can say, you know what, this is a new day. This is a new season. God has birthed something new in my heart. I don't care if I tried last year or the year before that. I hear you talking. I see your lips moving. But, I, you know, the only voice I'm listening to is the voice of God in my life. Like, you got to silence the voice of the critics. you got to defend against that. They will try to, to kill your confidence and therefore steal the dream that God has given you. 
And Nehemiah had a dream. He went to Jerusalem, right, because he was, he was bothered by something. He was burdened by it. Can I tell you, if you still are searching for your purpose and the call of God in your life, you don't have to look any further than the thing that bothers you, than the thing that you're burdened by. Oftentimes, our purpose is birthed out of a burden. Our calling is, is, is birthed out of a, a holy discontent that we have for something that keeps us up at night, that we feel passionate about. Our, our vocation, right, is, is, is birthed out of an aggravation that something bothers us. And God has given you that. God has given you a holy discontent, a, a burden for something. And thank God he has. And he hasn't given all of us the same burden, by the way, right? What bothers you probably doesn't bother me. But that's okay because it bothers you. You pursue that thing with excellence. You're passionate about it. And thank God you are. You make us all better because of the burden that God has, has given you. I have a burden. Like I had a burden eight years ago when we started this church. I looked around uh, this city and there are a lot of churches. But I didn't see a lot of churches where black, brown, tan, white, pasty, transparent. We could all come together and sit Right, no matter your hurts, your habits, or hangups, that you could walk in this place. If you were drunk yesterday, you could come in here today. If you were high last night, you could come in here today. I didn't see a church where anybody could come together, rich, poor, whether you were high on the level of education or low on the level, it didn't matter. You just wanted to create an environment where people could come and experience the presence of God in a very real way, where you could know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That there were easy steps to take in this journey. Just didn't see that. And because I was burdened for that, God said, you're the solution to it. Can I tell you something? The burden that you have, you're probably the solution to it. That God wants to gift you and give you the ability to fulfill that solution to the burden. It bothered Nehemiah that the city was in desolation, but the moment that he spoke that dream, people came to kill him. Again, because whatever it is God has for you, critics will come calling. But here's a little bit of light on that subject. You don't have to give the voices of the critics value in your life. Like not all voices are equal. Did you know that? Like you can, you can give them different weights. And some of you might say, well, you know, I live with critics. I got to listen to them all the time. Well, you still don't have to give them the same value that you would other voices in your life. Like, you know, that you have to have Critics, there will always be critics, but you also have to have coaches. You know the difference? Critics, they don't love you. They don't want God's best for your life. Like their opinions, they just spew all over you, and oftentimes those opinions are formed out of, out of hate or out of hurt or out of their own past mistakes and failures. You need coaches. Like coaches love you. They love God. They love you. They want the best for your life. Coaches will encourage you and build you up, but they'll also tell you when things need to be corrected in your life. They'll tell you you need to strengthen that area. You need to work on that area. So I would say this. Don't give the voice of the critics a seat at the table of your life. But you need to have coaches there. You better have some coaches at the seat of the table in your life. Uh, and if you let me, by the way, I'll be your coach. Every weekend, I'll be your coach. Because I love you and I want God's best for your life. So you got to defend against the voice of the critics in your life. And that's not to say that you surround yourself with people that will just say yes to you all the time. Right? I'm not saying that, right? Only a fool surrounds himself with people that just will always say, yes, you need people who have wisdom in your life that will tell you sometimes the direction that you're headed is not good. Here's the second thing, Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. When Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and greatly incensed. 
And he ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. And look at these questions. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Like, will they restore their wall? Like, he's just questioning everything that they're doing. Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish uh, this in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Right, so he's just casting doubt after doubt after doubt. Will they do this? Will they do that? And then his buddy, Tobiah, uh, is there. He jumps in, and he says, yeah, yeah, what are they building? Like, even a fox could make that wall come down. Good one, Tobiah. He's like, boom, roasted, got you. Even a fox could knock that wall down. Nice one. You got him. Here's the second thing you need to jot down. You need to defend against doubt. Doubt. Doubt will kill your dream. Um, Have you ever noticed how little seeds of doubt can infiltrate your heart and your mind uh, in the craziest places? Like you could be having a conversation with someone or even just by yourself and you're just thinking about something and all of a sudden it's like out of nowhere, this doubt pops into your mind. It's like, wait, wait, am I really supposed to do this? Did God really say that, that I need to be a part of that? Is this, is this the direction that I'm supposed to, to go? And we'll question everything. Doubt will come at us from the craziest places. And they were questioning everything. They were like, will they build the wall? Will they do it in a day? Can they make these stones, you know, uh, come back to life again? I wonder if they didn't cast little seeds of doubt on the people there that were trying to rebuild the wall. Here's the danger of doubt. Doubt will cause you to lose confidence in what God has told you. And doubt may not um, stop your dream completely, but it definitely will stall your dream. Doubt will cause you to to pump the brakes on the dream in your life and for you to say, "Uh, I I don't know if this is what I should do, if this is the direction that I should be going. Have you ever been driving down the highway and you weren't sure if the next exit was the exit you were supposed to take? And because you weren't sure, you started to slow down, right? You started to already merge over and get over because you weren't 100% sure, is that, is that the direction I'm supposed to go? What's the GPS kind of saying? Doubt works the same way in your life, in the dream that God has given you. As you're charging full speed ahead on that plan and that purpose that God has for you, you all of a sudden start to pump the brakes. Is this really the direction? Like, is this really where God has called me to go? Should I, should I turn here? Should I go do that? Like, and a lot of times we pump the brakes, and we might not completely stop the dream, but we slow down to a, a crawl on the dream that God has given us because we're not 100% sure of that next step or of that next turn that God wants us to take. Can I free somebody up today? If you're waiting for doubt to be eliminated from your life before you pursue the purpose of God for your life, you're going to be waiting forever because doubt will never be 100% eliminated from your life. You continue to, to pursue the dream that God has given you. I used to think that I had to be 100% sure about, about something before we, we moved as a church, before we did something. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. I don't think I've ever been 100% sure about anything. I don't know if that encourages you or makes you nervous. I don't know. But I used to think I had to be, you know, pretty sure. I had to get okay with being 75% sure. I had to be okay with, with the 25% of doubt not knowing what God was going to do. In fact, I've grown in this. I'm now like 51%. If I'm 51, let's go, right? Come on, God, let's go. You got the rest. If you're 100% sure, you have left no room for God to move in that equation. You're going to have to get used to a little bit of doubt, a little bit of, of questioning, a little bit of second guessing. Is this, is this the direction? You have to move forward by faith, right? If you don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. You got to move forward. I've learned I have to wait. I can't wait for doubt to be eliminated in my life because doubt's gonna continually try 
to disable the dream that God has given me. It's going to continually try to, to delay it. Doubt is a dream delayer uh, and a confidence uh, killer. Here's a, here's a third one. We got we to gotta move. You guys got to listen faster. Chapter 4, verse 7. <laughs> says, but when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod. I want you to look at this. It was three guys to start with. And now it's these other guys heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone on ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. And I want to point out that, that the attacks were escalating. But it didn't matter that the attacks were escalating. Nehemiah kept on building. Some of you, you're going to get attacks, but you need to keep moving forward. You need to keep on building. You need to keep on, on pursuing the dream that God has, has given you. Don't stop because you're getting attacked. Verse 8, they all plotted together to come fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So it started with some criticism. You can't do this. started with these casting little seeds of doubt. Now it's escalated. Number three is intimidation. And intimidation comes in two different forms, by the way. It comes in overt intimidation, which is bullying, which is physical, which is threats. You know, that's overt kinds of intimidation. We're going to come and fight you. But it also happens in covert intimidation. And God says in Proverbs that the fear of man is a trap or a snare. Uh, and one translation says, but the, the fear of God leads to life. So the fear of man is a trap. It's the snare, but the fear of God leads to life. The fear of man is the use of intimidation. It's use of intimidation to keep us thinking small, to keep us from, from, from dreaming big dreams to dreaming small. And now some of you might say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not afraid of no man. I'm not afraid. I don't have any fear of man. Um, which man in this sense is, is neutral, by the way. It could be man or woman. But let me push back on you for a second, if that's you. It says, I'm not afraid of any man. Could it be that um, fear looks a little bit differently sometimes when it's covert? You know, how, how about when that person calls and their name comes up on the caller ID and you don't want to answer it and your heart sinks a little bit, but you answer it anyway because you're afraid of the drama and the backlash that will happen if you don't answer the phone? You know what that is? Fear of man. Or how about the person in your life that you always have to walk on eggshells around? Or that you have to manage the family on how to, how to respond to because you don't want to rock the boat. You know what that is? That's a fear of man. It's covert intimidation. And I'm not saying that that person is evil, you know, that their motives are bad. Although do, I do think sometimes people use that fear uh, as a tool to manipulate and to control. But a lot of times people respond that way because of the bondage that's in their own life. And they don't know any, any different. They don't even know they're living that way. But the fear of man through covert intimidation is an inability to set healthy boundaries in our life and say, you know what, I'm not going to be held hostage by you. I'm not going to let you control me. I'm not going to let your, your anger or your outbursts or your lack of outbursts, hello, passive aggressive, right, let those, those control me and dictate, you know, the dreams that God has for my life. The only thing that's going to control me is, God, I'm going to love you the way God wants me to love you, but I'm not going to allow you to hold me hostage. If I know that I'm good with God, then I'm good. In my case, if I'm good with my wife and good with God, then I'm good. But don't allow intimidation to kill your confidence or to kill the dream that God has given you, whether it's overt intimidation or covert kinds of, of intimidation. Here's the last one, Nehemiah chapter 6. Verse 1, it says this. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, that the rest of our enemies 
and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Ono, don't go to Ono. Dad joke. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project. Another translation says a great work. Somebody say a great work. He says, I have a great work to do. I got this great project uh, that I'm doing, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times a day, they sent me this same message. Come and meet us. We want to have a meeting. Just kind of leave the work for a second. It's not that big of a deal. And each time I gave them the same answer, I am carrying on a great work. I cannot go down. Why would the work stop? Come meet us. I am carrying on a great work. I can't do it. I'm not going to stop. Number four, here it is, distraction. If the enemy cannot kill your dream with criticism, if he cannot delay your dream with doubt, uh, if he cannot use intimidation to cause you to surrender your dream, the enemy will get real crafty and tricky and he'll use distraction. And what seems like maybe even little distractions not even a big deal. Hey, Nehemiah, my man, come meet us. We just want to chat with you. Like, we don't, we don't want to ridicule you anymore. They might even, it might even sound like it's a good thing. Hey, you're doing a great work on that wall. Come on, we just, we just want to have a meeting with you. It's going to take a little bit of time. We're not going to try to kill you. We're not going to try to do anything, you know, fishy like that. We just want you to, to meet with us. We just want to distract you for a little bit, pull you down off of that wall. Even if it doesn't seem like a, a big deal, but if it gets you off course or off track for even a little bit, can I tell you something? When it comes to the dream that God has given you, there are no insignificant distractions. But the enemy would love nothing more than to pull you off of the great work that God has put on your heart to do and to accomplish. accomplish. Here's what it looks like. Colby, I'm not gonna come to church this month. Like, it's, it's, it's football season. I got too many other things I want to do. I'll be back, you know, next month or in the month after that. It's not that big of a deal. Hey, hey, come down off the wall just for a little bit. It's a distraction. Or you know what? We're not really going to, uh, we're, we're pursuing uh, financial freedom and being debt-free. But this month, you know, we got some things we want to do. We want to buy some things. And so, and so we're not going to do it this month. But we have 11 other months this year to kind of get out of debt. So this year, this month, we're not going to do it. Hey, just come down off the wall for a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. Or you know what? I, you know, I know what you say about small groups, but, you know, I'm just, I'm in the fall. Colby, I got you in the fall. I'm going to jump in on a group, not this semester, but in the fall. You know, I'm just going to wait a little bit. Just come on down off the wall for a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to pursue my wife in my marriage this month. Like, we're not going to have a date night this month. We're going to save some money. Uh, because we want to buy some stuff. We want to get a vacuum. I need a Roomba. That's what I need. So we're going to save some money. I'm not going to date you this month. But next month, we'll get back on it. Just come off the wall for a minute. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to use some distractions to get you to come down off that wall. And what happens is one month easily turns into two months. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And two months of coming down off the wall turns into three months. Three months turns into four. Before you know it, it's been a year since you've been up on the wall. 
Before you know it, it's been a year since you've pursued one another in the relationship, and now arguments are escalating, fights are escalating. You feel further from each other than you ever have before. There's no intimacy in the marriage, or now before you know it, eight months it's been since you've come to church. Or before you know it, all hell is breaking loose in your life and you blame it on every other thing and you're mad at every other thing other than the fact that you've been distancing yourself from God and from God's people and you've pulled away. Can I just tell you, I'm hoping the spirit of Nehemiah rises up inside of you today where you would say, you know what? This work is a great work. That this is too great of a dream that God has given me for me to delay it, for me to come off of this wall, but I'm gonna stand up here on this wall and do all that God has called me to do. That it's a great work. And I don't care what it is that God has, has birthed inside of your heart. It's a great work. No matter how big it is, no matter how small it is, the dream that God has given you is a great work. And it's too important for you to get distracted. This year, 2020, is too important for you to lay that dream down, to come off the wall, to get distracted by it. Doesn't matter if you failed before, year after year. But you know what? This year, I'm bringing that dream back off of the shelf. And I'm gonna say, God, I'm not gonna allow the enemy to steal it. I'm not gonna allow the enemy to kill my confidence. Then I'm not gonna allow the critics or the doubt or the intimidation to defer me from the dream that you have given me. Why don't you stand up to your feet? And if you feel comfortable right now, close your eyes and hold your hands up to heaven. Because here's what I believe, that this is not just a message series, not just a message, but this could be a prophetic word over your life today. For some of you to get your dream back. For us to stop allowing the enemy to kill our confidence. If you are a son, you're a daughter of God, you have all the confidence in the world. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we have confidence to boldly approach the throne. And God has birthed a dream inside of your heart. Don't allow the critics to, to kill it. That you would stand against the, the enemy that wants to distract you. You would stand against the enemy that wants to cause you to have doubts and second guess the dream that he's given you. No, you don't know the complete direction. You don't know what it's going to look like completely. But you know God has birthed that thing in your heart. You know you have a burden for something that you are the solution to. And then it's time for us to dream again. It's time for us to believe again. That God wants that dream to, to be lived out in and through our lives. So God, we ask that you would protect us. We ask that you would allow us the courage to, to stand on this wall, no matter what comes against us, to say this is a, a great work that you've given me. This is a great work that you've birthed inside of my heart and in my life, and I refuse to come down. The enemy will not bring me down from this wall. I'm going to take a stand, God, and pursue that dream. In Jesus' name. Still praying with every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. And you don't have confidence to walk in the calling that God has given you because your confidence right now is not found in Christ. The Bible tells us in Titus, it says that, that we can have confidence that Jesus saved us. That the grace of Jesus saves us, sets us free, that our home is in eternity. And maybe today you will walk through these doors and you didn't have that confidence that Jesus has saved you and set you free and that your eternal security is secure. But you're gonna leave here with confidence because God is drawing you to him. And the way we enter into a relationship with God is through his son Jesus who the Bible says was the only way 
for us to have that confidence. He's the way, the truth, the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. So as we confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. Maybe that's why you're here. You came in with doubt, you came in with fear, but you're gonna leave with confidence, knowing that Jesus has saved you, knowing that he's paid the price for your sin. And I wanna lead you in a prayer that confesses him as Lord. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that, I'm praying right with you, would you right now shoot your hand up? No one's looking around, just shoot your hand up and just say, God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Awesome, awesome. You can pray this. Uh, you can use your own words to say something like, Jesus, today, take my heart. Forgive me for my sin. I want my confidence to be found in you alone. I trust that your death on the cross saves me, past, present, and future. And from this moment on, I walk in the knowledge that I am a son and a daughter of God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.